you've been with us over the last five weeks, yes, the last five weeks, uh, you know that we've been doing a series on our values here at St. Paul's, on our seven core values. We're actually getting close to the end. We've only got two left. So far, we have talked about stewardship, prayer, biblical teaching, outreach, and service. And this week, we're going to be talking about fellowship. So fellowship is one of those words, I think, kind of like stewardship, that you don't, you don't hear people use in everyday conversation. It's a churchy word. People don't say, you know, we, uh, we went out and had pizza and had fellowship, unless they're church people. Um, <clears throat> and you might argue that, since that's true, maybe a more fitting word to use is something like community. And uh, I think there's a case to be made for that, but I actually want to stick with the word fellowship, uh, because I think fellowship is a more specific word than community. Uh, we're in Willington, and Willington is a community, but it's just a community primarily because of proximity. Everybody is living in the same basic area. You can be a community just because you all live in the same place. Um, but the church is more than people who share a common location, right? Uh, we, we also share a common experience, and we share a very special common experience, which is why I still want to use this word fellowship, because when we have fellowship, we aren't just sharing space. When we have fellowship, uh, we are sharing an experience. We are sharing uh, the experience of a relationship with God through Jesus. So uh, to say that we value fellowship, this is the way I would put it, to say we value fellowship is to say that we believe the experience of God is an experience that's meant to be shared with others rather than lived in isolation. So that's what fellowship is. This morning I want to address two questions related to fellowship, which is, uh, one, why should we value fellowship? Why is it so important to uh, experience God together? And then two, what keeps us from fellowship? Uh, so that's where we're headed. But before we get into it, let's say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we do thank you that we are able to gather together freely uh, to experience you together. And we pray that this morning that is what would happen, uh, that we would encounter you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Um, that you would give us ears to listen and hearts to receive. And uh, we pray uh, for transformation in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit um, to become more like you and um, to be more unified as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so looking at that first question, why is fellowship so important, so important or why should we value fellowship? Uh, before we get into this, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork again. Now remember uh, our definition of fellowship, sharing in our experience of God with others. Uh, and I just want to say, um, if that is our definition of fellowship, I'm not limiting fellowship just to face-to-face -face communication, right? You can have uh, fellowship on the phone, you can have fellowship through FaceTime, you can have fellowship through letters. Now I do think that in-person fellowship is really important. Uh, and since we're talking about fellowship in the context of church, then most of the fellowship we're talking about is that kind of face-to-face -face fellowship. 
but I don't want to focus this sermon on, you know, why we should get together and spend time together in person every week, because hopefully you remember that we actually had a sermon about that specific topic. Uh, it was the first time that we met here on January 8th. And if you missed that one, I encourage you to listen to it, uh, either on the podcast or on our website. It was called, Why Do We Do What We Do? January 8th. And it was all about, you know, uh, a biblical basis for why it's really important for us to actually get together and worship together on a consistent basis. But this morning, I don't want to talk so much about that because I don't want to just be redundant. Um, I want to talk more generally about why we should value experiencing God together in whatever way we are, we are doing that, whether it's meeting together on Sunday morning or in some other context. Uh, and when I say sharing our experience of God, I mean that in at least two main ways. Uh, one is telling each other our experience of God. So like, here's what God has done in my life. Here's what he is currently doing in my life. There's value in us sharing those things. And then I also mean literally experiencing God together. Um, so through things like worship and Bible study and prayer. So fellowship is sharing our experience of God to each other and with each other. So all that understood, okay, let's get into some reasons why we should value this. Why is this so important? And the first reason that we should value fellowship is because it increases our joy. Because it increases our joy. We human beings, we have this natural tendency to want to connect with people who have had similar experiences to us. Uh, in fact, uh, that's really the basis of friendship. C.S. Lewis has this quote that I really like. Uh, where he says, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought that no one but myself. And I think that's very true. In my experience, when I make a connection with a friend that's lasting, it usually starts with something like that. We bond over some sort of common experience. And one of the experiences that we love to connect with people over is the experience of appreciation. Uh, if you experience something that you really appreciate, uh, like a great movie or a great song or even just like a great idea, one of the first urges that you're going to have is to share that with somebody else or to find somebody else who already appreciates that thing. So I certainly know that this is true for me uh, because, I'll give an example, <clears throat> this right here is one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, it's from 2001, and it's by a band called Common Children, and it's called The In-Between Time. Now, raise your hand if you've heard of this album. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> so, when I was in high school, I was in one of those music clubs, you know, like 11 CDs for the price of one. Remember CDs? <laughs> and, uh, and one time I took a risk, and I just got this. It was part of, like, it was advertised in the subdivision of the music club for Christian music. And so I was like, yeah, I'll try getting this. And I got it, and I listened to it once through, and I was like, eh, it's all right. I thought, this will be good music for me to play when I'm working on homework, because it won't be that distracting. So I'd put it on while I was doing my homework. And over time, I realized, now in high school, my musical palette was not very developed. Um, but over time, I started to realize, I actually really like this, and it's growing on me. And it was almost like it got into my bones. Like, this album was just like, I just loved it. 
And, uh, and now, 15 years later, I still listen to this album uh, multiple times every year. And, uh, and I love it, and I love loving it, but there's one, there's one thing that always makes me a little sad, which is that whenever I meet anybody who is a similar age and who grew up listening to music from the Christian subculture, and I say, hey, did you ever listen to Common Children's The In-Between Time? They never know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and I have this desire to connect with somebody that's had a similar experience with this album, and it just, they aren't out there. It's like this album never even existed. Uh, and it's, it's, it is frustrating. Um, and it, it's enough so that like at least once every year, I find myself searching the internet, like scouring it, for some evidence that somebody else out there even has heard this album and likes it. And, um, it, you know, there's enough evidence that it exists that I, I know it's real because <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's on Spotify and it's on iTunes. And I did find a couple people on iTunes who wrote little, little reviews. And a few of them, they're like, you know, oh, this is a gorgeous album, you know, so little things like that. But, Overall, like, I thought about writing to the guy who, who, who made this, the, the lead singer, and saying how much I love the album, and I told my brother that I was thinking about doing that, and he said he'd probably write back and be like, wait, wait what album? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it just contributes to the enigmatic status of the album, which makes me like it even more. Um, but there's a part of me that feels like a valuable component of appreciating something is missing, which is just that experience of sharing the appreciation. And so I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, uh, which is that likewise, our joy in God and the gospel is going to be missing something if we don't have the experience of sharing it with other people. Uh, God has designed us to be relational beings and so our joy in anything is going to be lacking something if we don't get to share it with others. So that's one reason we should value fellowship, because it increases our joy. The second reason is because in order to understand and appreciate our experience of God, we need the perspective of other believers. So we need other people who have also had an experience of God to help us understand our own experience. Proverbs 15.22, and there's other places in Scripture that say things similar to this, but uh, it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. In other words, if you want wisdom really about anything, it's not good to pursue it just in isolation, alone. Um, God does want us to seek him individually, absolutely, but he also wants us to seek him together. And he often sets things up in such a way that we can't really fully understand what he's done in us individually unless we're seeking him with other people, too. Uh, I, there's this story uh, from the book of Acts that I think really illustrates this very well. I love it. Uh, it's from Acts chapter 9, and it's the story of Saul's conversion. Um, Saul was a man who persecuted the early Christian church, uh, but he had this miraculous conversion experience. And then from that point on, he became known as Paul, who's the guy that we know of as the one who wrote a large portion of the New Testament. I always like to say, if you're somebody who thinks, I've messed up too much in my life for God to use me, 
just remember that a large portion of the New Testament was written by a guy who was helping to kill Christians before he was discipling them. So, never think that God can't use you. But anyway, Saul's conversion uh, involved this miraculous moment where he was on the road to Damascus and he saw this flash of light and he fell down and he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. And once he opened his eyes after having this experience, he was blind. Couldn't see. Must have been a very scary thing. And for at least three days, he was totally blind. And then this happened. Uh, Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, I love this story as a picture of the power of fellowship. Um, because although Saul has had this miraculous experience, right, this incredible encounter with God, that, that encounter is not complete until Ananias comes and prays for him. It's not until then that the scales completely fall from his eyes. And he's given insight and understanding into what has happened to him. Um, you know, I can't say this for sure, but it seems to me that if Paul had had this experience, was rendered blind, but then never connected with anybody from the church, he probably just would have stayed blind, right? Um, and I think this story really shows us the power of fellowship because do you think that God really needed Ananias to heal, uh, to heal Paul, to get him to be able to see again? I mean, I think that God probably could have just, he, he made him blind. I assume he could have brought his sight back as well too, right? But he wanted to connect Paul to the church and to bring him into fellowship. And so he used Ananias as the vehicle of the healing. And he made it so that Paul couldn't fully understand this uh, event that had taken place in his life until he was brought into fellowship. Uh, because God wants his people to be in fellowship with each other. He wants his people to share their experience with him together. And because our God is a God of love, uh, and love requires relationship, he set things up that way. Uh, he wants us to come together. So those are a couple reasons why we should value fellowship. Next, I want to talk a little bit about what keeps us from fellowship. So, put it really simply, there's two basic things that keep, can keep us from fellowship. One, we just, we don't make an effort to be around other believers. Hard to have fellowship if you're not actually in proximity to other believers. Uh, but since you're here this morning, I think there's a good chance that this doesn't apply that much to you. What I really want to focus on is the second one, which is that uh, we don't connect with the believers that we're around. 
So I think it goes without saying that you can be in close proximity to other people, but not make a meaningful connection with them. Uh, that probably happens every time you ride public transportation. You're in close proximity to people, but you do not connect meaningfully. And I think sometimes our experience of church feels similar to that. Uh, it feels like we just rode the bus with a bunch of people and we listened to a sermon. You know, we didn't actually connect. And if that's the case for you, um, I, well, I hope that's not the case for you, uh, but I mean, I do want to acknowledge that there's a possibility that it is. I've noticed in my own life, listening to people who go to church, that often that's a common complaint, which is I just feel like I don't connect with anybody there. I come, I listen to a message, but you know, I could just listen to a message at home. I could, you know, listen to a podcast or something like that, and I just don't connect with people. So, what's the point? So what causes this feeling of disconnection? Uh, what, what is at the root of that? Well, that is a complicated question. And there's, there's a lot of factors to consider in why we might feel disconnected. And so um, I don't want to say that I can answer that real simply right now. I just want to propose one possibility for us to think about. Um, so we're not going to look at that question from every angle. But to get us started, uh, I'd like us to look at a passage from 1 John, which I think gives us some insight. First uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, what I want us to notice there is the connection that John is making between having fellowship with one another and walking in the light. Right? If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light. So, Again, let me repeat, I'm not saying that if you come to church and you feel this disconnect where you're not, you know, relating to people or whatever, that that means that you're not walking in the light. I mean, theoretically, it's possible that you're walking in the light, but other people are not, right? I'm not saying either one of those things is necessarily the case, but I'm saying it's a possibility that we all need to consider, okay, if we're feeling disconnected. We need to ask, am I walking in the light? So that raises the question, well, what does it mean to walk in the light? Um, well, we might be inclined to think that walking in the light means being morally pure, uh, following all of God's laws, uh, being like God, walk in the light as he is in the light. Right? And if you were to think that, you would definitely not be entirely wrong. Um, the more that we as a community can rid ourselves of sin, then the more we're going to be living as people who love God and therefore as people who love one another, uh, the more rich our fellowship is going to be. Those things go hand in hand. Because when we're following God, uh, things like pride and anger and gossip and judgment and all sorts of things that tend to divide us and keep us from having meaningful connection, uh, those things lose their power and we're freed from them. So absolutely, part of walking in the light is, is uh, seeking out to be obedient to God's commands. But 
I think that walking in the light, when John talks about it here, has a more specific meaning than just uh, ridding ourselves of sin. Okay, and I say that for two, two main reasons. One, uh, notice that John says, um, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Um, now, if walking in the light primarily means ridding ourselves of sin, then that's a little redundant, isn't it? Because it's like saying, if we rid ourselves of sin, then the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. Seems, seems redundant. Um, the second reason I think that walking the light means something more specific is because of what John says immediately after this in verse 8. Here's what comes next. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, uh, being purified from sin, uh, excuse me, uh, being uh, purified from all sin, and being purified from all unrighteousness, that's basically the same effect, right? That's, that's the same thing. So it seems like the cause in both of these cases is probably the, the same thing as well. So that would mean that at least part of what it means to walk in the light is to confess our sins. So, yeah, verse 7, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Uh, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Those two things are basically the same, so it stands to reason walk in the light equals confess our sins, or at least part of what walking in the light is, is confessing our sins. So when you think about this concept of walking in the light, uh, don't, don't envision in your mind you uh, walking around glowing angelically uh, and shining with your own moral goodness. I know some of you are thinking that. <laughs> um, Instead, think of walking into the light as coming into a light where all your imperfections are exposed. Um, and you can't hide them anymore. Uh, to walk in the light is to be real before God and before each other about who we really are, warts and all. So, <clears throat> normally, uh, we have a tendency to hide from the light. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first impulse they had was to hide. When God showed up and he said, where are you? And they're, they're hiding because they are ashamed. And uh, we have this same impulse today to hide. We're scared to be fully honest about who we are before God and before anybody else. We want to hide. Uh, and uh, sin has made it very hard for us to come out into the light. And yet we're commanded to walk in the light. So we're in this weird place where we desire meaningful connection. We don't want to feel disconnected. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want meaningful connection. Because the cost of meaningful connection is being vulnerable. It's coming out of hiding. It's walking in the light. But if we're going to have meaningful connection and meaningful, meaningful fellowship, uh, we have to be real about who we are before God and before other people. Uh, we have to walk in the light. Now, I want to be careful uh, 
not to be taken the wrong, wrong way here. I'm not saying that uh, you should come to church every Sunday and just unload all of your deepest, darkest secrets to everybody. Um, I'm not saying that everybody in the church needs to hear about your failures and your fears and your embarrassments. Um, there's a difference between being honest and disclosing everything to everyone. Okay. Um, but you do need to be real before God first. And I think you do need to be honest and real before a few people that you can trust who are also walking with Jesus. Uh, I think all of us need that. Um, and if you're never willing to be vulnerable enough to disclose who you really are to people, then meaningful fellowship is always going to feel out of reach. You know, you might be able to have some fun with people from church. You might be able to enjoy some camaraderie doing a service project or something like that. And that's great, but deep, meaningful connection will always elude you if you're never willing to take that step to be vulnerable, to walk in the light. So my advice is if you don't have people right now in your life that you feel like you can be vulnerable with, that you can just, this is who I am, this is what I'm dealing with, this is, these are my struggles, try to seek them out. Um, you don't need to be vulnerable the first time that you meet. Usually you want to build some trust with somebody. Um, but choose to develop relationships with that, that intention, uh, with the intention of, um, I'm looking for people who are experiencing God, that I can experience God with, and that involves the process of being honest about who I am and being honest about what I'm dealing with and coming into the light and not hiding. Um, find people that you can walk in the light with. Because as you do, you will experience true fellowship. And true fellowship is powerful, and it's healing in our lives. It is an incredibly powerful, transformative force. Uh, but if that is going to happen, uh, our fellowship does need to go beyond just what happens here on Sunday mornings. Um, and, you know, I encourage you all to develop these kinds of relationships organically. You know, we don't necessarily need a program for those things to happen. But one of the ways that we do try to facilitate that here at our church is through small groups. Um, we have a few that meet just about every week. Uh, and we're looking to create some new ones as well. So I really encourage you, if, you've, if you haven't tried a small group, or maybe you uh, used to go to a small group and now you're not, uh, to, to seek one out. Uh, because it gives you an opportunity to connect more meaningful with people. It's an opportunity to study scripture together, uh, to be honest, to pray, and just to have fun, too. And um, I, I would really love to see uh, small groups at St. Paul's uh, thrive. And the first step that it takes is just uh, us desiring that connection and seeking it out. And, you know, the truth is you may go to a small group and still feel this feeling of disconnection. It's not a guarantee that you're automatically going to, to feel it. But, you know, I encourage you to try sticking it out for a while, even if you go and you don't feel that connection at first. Because it can take time to get to a point where you feel like you can walk in the light uh, with people and, uh, and come out of hiding. So that's my encouragement this morning. Try, try going to a group uh, faithfully and just be patient. And, and over time, I believe, the Lord will use it in your life. But whether you go to a small group or not, I encourage you, 
develop those friendships, those, those relationships with people who know Jesus, who you can be honest with, who you can walk in the light with. Because we're made for that kind of connection. And it takes that risk of being vulnerable, um, but the risk is worth the reward. Let's pray. Lord, all of us long for connection. And uh, we have these, these twin desires of we want to be fully loved and we want to be fully known. And uh, most of the time, we feel like those desires are in conflict with each other. Uh, we thank you that in you, uh, we can have the experience of being both fully known and fully loved. Um, but Lord, we pray that uh, we as a church body would be able to represent uh, your love and your character to each other. Um, we pray that there would be space to be fully known here and, um, and, and the, the experience of also being fully loved uh, in the midst of that, God. We pray that you would help us to know what it means to walk in the light. And uh, we pray that as we do, we would have fellowship with one another uh, and the blood of Jesus would purify us. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.